Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Sakari. Good morning. My name is Frank Sakari, and you are listening to Life Altering Events. Our sponsor today is the Tag Team, which is a collaboration with the Abraham Group, headed by Jay Abraham, the best marketing mind and business builder in the world, who has increased the bottom line for over 10,000 clients by more than $21 billion, and my company, Life Altering Events, who are experts in business organizational development, as well as finance and scaling of organizations. Now, this is a very elite and exclusive program for entrepreneurs who are looking to make an impact in the world and get the best return for their business. If you think you can make a difference, go to my website, frankzakari.com, and look for application details. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as we continue to address the impact of COVID, reports of anxiety, depression, domestic-related issues are all increasing dramatically as we all try to deal with the uncertainty of this situation. Now, as adults, we should be able to rationalize what's going on, but children and teens don't understand the fear and the anxiety in their home, and more importantly, why is this happening? The impact on children and teens has been enormous. Their school year ended abruptly in March, taking children and teens out of their element in their normal routine. So now on top of all the other challenges that preteens and teens face, Much of their face-to-face social interaction, which is their lifeblood, has been curtailed. Now, having raised two daughters as a single father, I know the importance of hanging out with the friends. But teen depression was an issue way before COVID. Gene Twingle, a professor of psychology at San Diego State University and the author of a book, iGen, talks about how technology affects the lives of young people. And she was asked, what's causing today's young people so much anguish? This is what she said. This is a tough question to answer, as we can't prove for sure what the causes are. But there is one change that impacts the lives of young people far more than older people. And that was the growth of smartphones, digital media, like social media, texting, and gaming. The exponential growth in technology keeps teens constantly on their edge because missing a text or a post can remove someone from the cool group or the accepted group. This continuous access to technology has also increased cyberbullying. It is easier to hide behind a computer or a smartphone and key in hurtful comments and lies than to make that same comment in person or in public. As I researched issues on teen suicide, I reached out to my friend Jackie Simmons, who's dedicated her life to end this teen suicide epidemic. Let me tell you something about Jackie. She is an author. She is a TEDx speaker. She is a brain retrainer. She is a co-founder of the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, and she is what's called a mission-driven mentor. Jackie, welcome to Life Altering Events. Thank you, Frank. I'm super happy to be here. I so appreciate what you're doing in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Jackie, before we get into the teen suicide, and we're going to spend a lot of time on that, give the listeners a little thumbnail of the overview of your life, just a short overview. (laughs) I was busy. (laughs) I was busy the way only a single parent could be busy for many, many years, which is how I started being an entrepreneur by accident. I was a single mom. And at the end of the month, I was really good at sales, but not good enough. Because at the end of the month, I could either pay daycare or I could pay the rent. I couldn't do both. And someone suggested I look into having a home-based business. And I did the world's fastest dash into becoming an entrepreneur, a small business owner, and opened a daycare in my home, knowing nothing about business, nothing about networking, not much about anything other than I had three kids to keep a roof over their head. Wow. Uh, It sounds like a lot of us have been there, particularly as single parents. Now, Jackie, 
You and I have worked together in the past, and I love your term, the mission-driven mentor. What is that? What is a mission-driven mentor? If you'd asked me that 13 months ago, before my life-altering event, I couldn't have told you. And the last 13 months have been this mad dash into who am I really? Because for a really long time, I was building a business as a very successful person feeling like a total failure. And it's hard to do both. It's like it's hard to be successful and keep yourself a secret at the same time. But I was sure trying. I wanted to be successful on the outside and keep my insides a secret. And then a year ago, in August of 2019, my purpose literally tapped me on my shoulder. And when I realized that I was waking up every day thinking about one thing, I got the truth. If you you can't stop thinking about it, it's yours to do something about. And that's how I became mission driven. And everybody told me you can't do. You can't have a mission and a business. You're going to have to pick one. And if anybody ever tells somebody to pick a pony, I'm here to say don't pick one. Go with both if you're passionate about both. It took a lot, about eight months, for me to figure out how to get these two ponies to play together. But I'll tell you what, being focused on a mission, what's the difference you can make in the world, and finding a way for my business to be in complete alignment with the mission has made me a mission-driven mentor. I am determined to help other people put together the pieces of their life so that their passion and their purpose and their profits are all playing together. I love that. So that's a great answer, Jackie. Now, Jackie, you've had a couple of books. Uh, Make It a Great Day, The Choice is Yours, and Game Changer, Volume 3, which was inspirational stories that changed lives. And in there you wrote... I'm not going to inspire you to change anything. I'm simply going to give you a framework that allows everything to change. Explain what you mean there. Empowerment is an inside job. No one can empower anyone outside of their own skin. And yet there's a lot of hype right now that says that I can change you. The answer is no, you can't. Just like you can't make me feel an emotion without my consent. We just don't realize who we've given permission to. Here's the one thing that when you can wrap your head around this, it will change everything. You are being brainwashed every minute of every day. You have given permission for other people to get inside your heads. The question is, are you doing it intentionally and choosing what information is coming in? Or are you indiscriminately allowing other people access to your operating system? And this is the biggest challenge I have. You can empower yourself, you can brainwash yourself, or you can let other people determine how much power you have by their ability to brainwash you. You just didn't know you were giving permission. There's, uh, there's nothing like feeling overwhelmed is a statement I've heard you make before. And that plays very well into this brainwashing. Is that right? Well, yeah, it absolutely does. Because we're told that we're supposed to be overwhelmed. We hear this all the time. Get the, you, know, you just go anywhere on social media. The question is, are you overwhelmed? I can solve that problem for you. Are you overwhelmed? After a while, it feels like it's cool to be overwhelmed and it's not so cool to be calm and happy. And that's what happened in our culture is it stopped being cool to be okay and it started being cool to be stressed. It started being cool to be overwhelmed because you know how they say misery loves company. Mm -hmm. We started gathering company that was just in caught up in the negative echo chamber in this constricting emotions. And this is what people talk about. You know, when we could gather at a bar for a happy hour, you walk into a happy hour. What are people doing? Complaining. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I don't know what was so happy about that time, but this is where we are. Where we are is a culture that says you're not supposed to be happy. Do you, have, Frank, have you ever heard of survivor guilt? Yes. Now we're dealing with something more insidious than survivor guilt. We're dealing with thriver guilt. And people who are happy, they are peaceful, they are calm, they are succeeding, they are finding abundant opportunities everywhere in this new compressed world, I call the COVID cocoon. They are afraid to speak up because somebody who's not having that experience is not going to be inspired by them, but is going to tear them down. That's what they're afraid of. So instead of being a beacon of hope, instead of sharing what's so good about their day, they're going on talking about what they're afraid of and lying because what they're really afraid of is that somebody's going to criticize them because nobody's ever taught them how to take feedback. And that's the problem we've got. You're right. It's easy to hide behind a computer and make a negative comment. And if you've never gotten any training in how to receive feedback, it can be a real emotional nightmare. And then who are you going to talk to? Because everybody is dealing with negative feedback and not most people don't know how to receive it as feedback. I love that term, thriver guilt. Uh, I was a medic in the military and I saw a lot of survivor guilt in, in the service during the war. But this is a very different approach because as soon as you say something positive, there is an army of people shouting, sh- basically shouting you down, either in person, when we could be in person, but on social media, it's just unbelievable how much negativity keeps come flowing back anytime you say anything positive. So let's just acknowledge the reality and quit arguing with the reality of the fact that there is a momentum of negativity. So once we know that there's a wave, we can do things to mitigate the damage of the wave, right? Absolutely. When you know that this place floods, you can build your house on stilts. I'm inviting everyone to start putting their mindset up on stilts. Let's get you above the waves of negativity so that you can see that there's a horizon. Let's get you up out of the water, dry you off, let you wash your own brain a little bit and say, okay, what's the best thing? Here's the kicker. Start your day with what's the best thing that happened to me yesterday? What's the best thing that I'm looking forward to today? Now, for me, that one of my things was being interviewed on your show. What's the best thing about the person I spend the most time with other than myself? Have I told them lately what that best thing is? What's the best thing about my career? What's the best thing about my business? What's the best thing about my clients? And by the way, that's all of them. What's the best thing about my favorite client? What's the best thing about my least favorite client? Because you all have one. I'll guarantee it. (laughs) Yeah, you do. Okay. We all have one. I don't care how many times you have allowed people to leave your ballpark, which is my language for your life. You still will have somebody who's your favorite and somebody who's your least favorite, even if that changes from minute to minute. Yeah. So go ahead and find out what's so good about your life. The technique of asking this question, what's so good about that, is a time-honored sales technique created by Bob Sarcosta of the Home Shopping Network. At least that's who taught it to me. I just apply it not just to something that I want other people to buy into. I apply it to every aspect of my life. What's so good about that? Even if it's dirty dishes in the sink. Asking the question, what's so good about that is going to shift your energy. What's so good about being mission driven? You never run out of energy. (laughs) That's absolutely true. The your statement about gratitude is something we hear on the show all the time, regardless of what occurs in your life. And I've seen this with you and we're going to get into it very shortly. Um, uh, with your teen suicide, you you are always grateful about the ex- what you learn, not necessarily the experience, but what you learn from the experience. Is that right? 
No, but nice try. Um, I was not always grateful. Not and, and not even for what I learned about the experience. First, I was angry. Mm-hmm. It took a while to get to gratitude. Now I am absolutely grateful for everything that brought me to where I am because where I am is right here, right now, which is the only place I can make a difference. I cannot make a difference in the past. I cannot make a difference in the future. I can make a difference right now if I'm willing to be present. And that requires coming to peace with your past. So coming to peace with it, accepting it unconditionally, and then recognizing that if it wasn't for your past, you would not have this particular present. And this one's pretty good right now. Yes, it is. It's very good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a break here because we're going to come back and get into Jackie's program on suicide prevention, and I don't want to interrupt it once you get started. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Jackie Simmons, stay tuned. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We just finished the first segment with Jackie Simmons, and it was an amazing segment. Jackie talked about a term that most of us probably have never heard, which is thriver guilt. And these are people that in in the world today, as as it is, who are thriving, who are doing their best, who are happy in the moment, but are constantly being shouted down by the negativity that is currently surrounding the world. And she is absolutely dead on. She's also a mission-driven mentor to stay in present, stay in the moment, and continue to move forward. Now, Jackie, you are a TEDx speaker. You are a sought-after presenter at many conferences. We've been at some together. On the surface, it looked like you had it all, as you said earlier. You looked like you had it all, but you were unhappy. Then you told me a story, a life-altering event story that occurred when you and your daughter spoke at an event that you were hosting. Share that story with the listeners. Oh, it was an amazing day, Frank. Thank you. Everything worked. If you've ever hosted an event, you're going to laugh. 
the PowerPoint worked. The videographer was on time and set up in the back of the room. The whole morning flowed. The entrepreneurial women were working on their messages. They were all getting into that excited, nervous state that you get into right before you give a talk. I was so proud of my daughter. She volunteered to go first. And she was giving a seven-minute talk that she was going to get transcribed to go into a book of inspirational stories for kids. I had no idea what her topic was. We just decided she would tell one of her never-quit stories because those kinds of stories are always inspiring, right? Yes. When I welcomed her to the front of the room and I walked to the back of the room, she started with a startling statistic. And as a speaking coach, I was super happy because that's a great way to start a short talk. And then the statistic landed in my brain and my happiness drained away. 3,000 a day was the number. 3,000 a day. That's the number of teens who attempt to take their own lives every day. And that's just teens, just in the U.S., and just the ones who don't die. The number goes up if you add the ones who die. And while I was reeling under the weight of that number because I had no clue the number was that high and I certainly had no clue this was gonna be her topic, it registered what was coming out of her mouth next. And she said, when I was 14, and my daughter started publicly sharing about her multiple suicide attempts as a teenager. I had lived through them, but we hadn't talked about them in more than 20 years. Once we were done with the counseling, therapy, interventions, you know, medications, hospitalizations, once we were done with all of that, and even while we were going through that, I had sold myself on the idea that as long as she was getting professional help, we didn't need to talk about it. And then I sold myself on the idea that letting the past be the past was a really good idea because heaven forbid I should put the idea back in her mind by bringing it up. I had bought into a mythology around suicide that almost cost me my daughter. And I didn't know I didn't know how close I was to losing my daughter until she shared in the middle of her seven-minute talk that she still struggled with suicidal thoughts. I'm in the back of the room, and her words exploded in my brain. And all I could think about was the night that she first tried to take her own life and how I spent all night laying on the futon in the living room, staring into the darkness in the direction of the ceiling, just listening to her breathe. I couldn't bear to be away from her. So we were sleeping on the futon in the living room and between us was a piece of paper, her handwritten note, her promise not to harm herself while I slept, <laughs> like I was going to sleep that night and all night. I just wondered what happened. How did I miss this? How did I, what happened? What's going to happen next? All of this going, going on and I had to come back to the room where she was still speaking. 20 years had elapsed between those two events, but for me, they were the same because my brain had the same question. How could I miss this again? How could I miss the signs? Surely there were signs that I missed. Talk about guilt. There's not much more guilt than there is a parent who's facing the death of their child to suicide going, how did I miss this? So my heart goes out to everyone whose life has been touched by this. But in the moment, in the room, my heart was a real concern because it had stopped beating and I had stopped breathing. And the only thing that kept me from curling up and howling in the corner was the fact that she continued talking. And she said that she wanted to create a program for teens 
to help them find joy every day, to help them learn the coping skills that she's learned along the way before they need them. And everyone stood up and gave her a standing ovation and rushed over to hug her and thank her for being so vulnerable. And I was in the back of the room taking three very deep, very slow breaths. And by the time everyone was reseated, I had a plan. We would get that program done. We'd take that book of inspirational stories and we would turn it into a book of stories that teens could use to break the silence and start the conversation on suicide. Because in that moment, I realized that silence around suicide is deadly. And as good as it sounds, Frank, getting the book done, getting the program done, as needed as these things were, the truth, they were just another way for me to stay busy and avoid the conversation. You know, the conversation, the one that you think that maybe you ought to have, but you're not sure, so you don't. Mm -hmm. I had not had that conversation with my daughter. And when you talk about the TEDx stage, and they wanted me to take the stage and talk about teen suicide, how to stop the teen suicide epidemic. And that was a whole nother journey because I realized I could not stand on a stage and talk about how to start a conversation that really matters when I was still trying not to have that conversation with my daughter. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't want to know. My heart goes out to everyone who's ever faced this because I get it. I did not want to know what could cause my daughter so much mental and emotional pain that she would think dying was better than living. But I had to learn. I learned some from her and I learned a lot from my research for the TEDx stage. And here's what I learned. People who take their own lives don't want to die. It's not that they want to die. It's just that they haven't figured out how to live. That's the whole problem. The problem in our culture is that we have a lot of things we call suicide prevention that are interventions. They kick in when someone is known to be at risk, when they have a mental health diagnosis, when they've made an attempt, when they are part of a culture that we know is at risk, whether it's because they've got an addiction or depression, any of these things, they're known to be at risk. Those programs that call themselves suicide prevention are not preventative. They're interventions. And they only kick in once you know you've got a problem. And that's what launched the mission that we're on. Because the Teen Suicide Prevention Society, the Suicide Prevention Society, the Suicide Prevention Movement, even my summit, the Suicide Prevention Show, we are 100% focused on pure prevention. What does that mean? We recognize that there are six suicide risk indicators beyond a mental health diagnosis. If you've got a mental health diagnosis, intervention immediately. But the six, Frank, if I'm going to rattle them off really fast. Are you ready? Sure. You or your family might be at risk for suicide if someone in your family has something about them that makes them a little different. A disability, an accent, eyes that are two different colors. Doesn't matter what it is. Something that makes them a little different from the culture you're in. You're at risk. The second one, you or your family might be at risk if someone in your family has a chronic illness, is dealing with chronic pain. You or your family might be at risk of suicide if someone in your family has an addiction of any kind. And I'm not talking about just the big four, drugs, alcohol, work, and sex. I'm talking about also gambling. I'm talking about screen time. And another addiction that people don't talk about, but we all know somebody who has it, is somebody who's addicted to being right. That's another thing that puts distance between you and other people. That puts you at risk. 
The fourth reason, the fourth indicator, if you or someone in your family has ongoing financial struggles. And yeah, that's on the rise. The fifth reason you or your family might be at risk is if someone in your family has been or is being bullied or abused. And here's the kicker. I put in that category if you're being pressured to perform in an area you are not naturally gifted in. That's abuse. Mm -hmm. And then the kicker. The sixth risk indicator for suicide is if you know someone who's tried or died. And Frank, thanks to media, you were talking about it earlier, thanks to media, we all know someone. We all know it celebrity chef, a talented singer, a gifted comedian. We all know someone. And I went on a rant on someone else's stage and called out every celebrity because I do not believe a celebrity has the right to take their own life because when they do, they give tacit permission for everyone to do the same, which is the problem with suicide. When one person in a family, when one person in a community takes their own life, everyone is at risk. For doing exactly the same. It is a community thing. Now that sixth point is incredibly powerful. I've heard some of the others in the past, but knowing someone who tried or died puts everyone at risk or potentially everyone at risk because we've, we've, we've all seen it. Mm-hmm. And, te- and teens get are, are, are such an emotion that, well, look, if their life is so good and they couldn't do it, what do I have? Yeah, that's a question that's really challenging. And here's the deal. I used to, at a networking event, somebody would say, what do you do? And I would say, I help entrepreneurial women learn to do sales from the inside out. Now, someone asks me what I do, and I lean in and I say, Have you heard about the number of parents who are totally clueless that their kids on the verge of killing themselves? Wow. What's your typical reaction? What's the typical reaction to that statement? The typical reaction to that statement is they go, what do you mean? The amazing power of them asking, what do you mean? is that in that moment, they've opened their mind to the fact that suicide is a thing. And when I realized that suicide is a thing among our teens, if people have not had this conversation with their kids because they're afraid they're going to put the thought in the kid's head, I got news for you. Suicide is a thing in schools. Suicide is a thing in the community. Your kids know about it. I went into a local high school with the book that we created, The Make It a Great Day, The Choice is Yours. And after I was done explaining what we were doing with the book and how everybody could have two books, I went around the room and I said, do you have a story? Do you have a friend who's tried or died? And one after the other. One young lady said she lost her first friend to suicide in elementary school. The number of 10-year-old girls who take their own lives is staggering, but we don't talk about it. Oh, she lost her second friend to suicide last year. She was a sophomore in high school. A sophomore. And she'd lost two friends to suicide. By the time I left that building and got out to my car, I just sat in my car and cried, Frank, because Mm -hmm. it wasn't some of the kids in the room. It wasn't even most of the kids in the room. It was a hundred percent of the kids in the room had a friend who tried or died. All of them. And their parents are clueless because they're not having this conversation. You remember the conversation we used to have to have, Frank, you know, the one we have with your kids about sex? Mm-hmm. And then the conversation we needed to have with our kids became about drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Now the conversation has to be about suicide. We can skip over a conversation about bullying and go right to the suicide now. Because we are what I call in the suicide war. And I spell war with two A's. We're all at 
risk. And no group is more at risk than our kids because the kids don't have that part of the brain that has a pause button. So all it takes is them to have an idea that they don't want to talk about, that they try to suppress, because as soon as you've got a thought that you try not to think, you're actually doubling down on the thought. It's like telling somebody, don't think about an elephant. Exactly. So now they've doubled down on the thought of suicide because they don't want to upset their parents by bringing up this topic, and their subconscious mind starts making a plan to get what it thinks is important. This is the law of attraction and action. What you're thinking about, your brain is designed to bring about, and they're trying not to think about suicide, so they're thinking about suicide more, and now they're scared, so they've got emotion. They get caught in this negative echo chamber that they're not even aware of that their subconscious mind has created an awareness of where's an opportunity, where's an opportunity. And then all it has to happen, Frank, is subconscious plan crosses opportunity and teens don't have a pause button. And this is why that here's something we don't talk about in this country. But did you know that our tax dollars went for installing jump nets on bridges because teens were pulling off on the side of the road and leaping off of bridges? in record numbers. And so our tax dollars at work, we put up jump nets to intervene in their fall and not put any money into preventative. And I'm, yeah, I'm pissed. Sorry, this is my platform. And that is fine. That is fine. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take another break right here. Jackie's on a roll. We're going to come back and we're going to get into the program. And parents, what do you say? How do you say it? When do you say it? Don't go away. It's getting better. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Sakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Sakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Zakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We've had two just incredible segments with Jackie Simmons on teen suicide prevention. And one of the points that Jackie has made is that the vast majority of the things that we call prevention are not prevention. They're intervention. We have to get out ahead of this. We have to have this conversation before something occurs. 
Now, Jackie, one of the things that you and I spoke a while back, and, and, and you said something that, that shocked me. You said that I, I had asked, what, what, do you, what do you look for? What are the signs? And you said one of the first signs is an attempt. Explain that. Elaborate more on that. There's something that happens when people think about suicide. And the first thing that they think about is, well, I would notice. You know, I would notice. And so the Center for Disease Control has this list. These are all the signs that somebody you might, uh, somebody you care about might be at risk. And the challenge with that list is that nobody ever goes and looks for that until they've got a reason, until they know that somebody's at risk. Because prevention is not what we think it is. So parents who've lost a child, parents whose child has attempted, even if they survive, they go and they find that list. And all that list does is make them feel guilty for missing any signs that might have been. But the reality is what we're seeing more and more is that the first sign is an attempt. There was nothing there for the parent to react to. I'm talking about the kids who are normal, Frank. These are the ones who are happy. They're sometimes bored. They're sometimes grumpy. They're normal. And then they try to kill themselves and everybody's in shock. Suicide is shocking. What we're seeing now is absolutely bone chilling because there's not a pause button. It's happening faster and faster. The Today Show two weeks ago on Sunday morning in the middle of my summit for the suicide prevention show on the today show on national news they put up a slide that said that the number of people adults dealing with suicidal ideation struggling with suicidal thoughts has doubled they were using numbers from june of this year and comparing them to june of 2018 and the number has doubled you think of the 10 people that are closest to you your family, your friends, your children, more than one of them is struggling with suicidal thoughts according to the statistics. But which one? They're all normal. That's why I said we're all at risk. And here's the deal. You don't need to know who's at risk. You just need to start the conversation. Just start the conversation with the people who are normal. Why? Because by having the conversation, you're actually giving them a buffer. You're backing them away from the ledge if they were close to the ledge. Yes, it's good to know the skills to talk yourself off the ledge, and we teach that in the advocacy program. But the reality is, it's better if you just never go near the ledge. And the fastest path to help people stay away from the ledge is to take them into the conversation that matters, the one about suicide. And I'm going to make it easy for everybody. Frank, are you ready? Yes. Step one for having a conversation around suicide with your child, your friend, your parent is to stop being busy. Just stop. Make time for this. Make an appointment with them. This is not a conversation that you blindside somebody with. This is a conversation that says, hey, I want to have a conversation around suicide prevention because it's becoming a thing, can we talk tomorrow morning? You invite them into a conversation, eyes wide open. Step one, stop being busy, plan the conversation. Step two, listen. Start the conversation by being willing to listen to whatever they want to talk about. And you do that by asking an open-ended question. What's news? What's up? What's the best thing that's happened to you so far today or yesterday? You just open the conversation and you listen in a new way. You listen without judgment, without trying to fix anything, without problem solving, without strategizing. You just listen and you've introduced it with a positive thing. What's the best thing that's happened to you so far today? And that's important. And then step three, you introduce the topic. And you introduce it in a way that makes it relatable to them. If you're talking to somebody who's 90, you don't ask about teen suicide. You ask about senior suicide. 
If you're talking to a teen, you don't ask about entrepreneurial suicide. You ask about teen suicide. So you introduce the topic with a closed-ended question. It's very precise. Have you heard about the rise in teen suicide? The answer is going to be yes or no. It doesn't matter. What's important is that you ask the fourth question. And again, very precise language, very closed-ended. Do you know someone who's tried or died? This is very precise. Do you have a friend who's tried or died? Very precise, very neutral language. And that's important because what you want is a simple yes or no. You don't really need a big story. But if they start sharing a story, just listen. That's why I had you practice listening with non-judgment a minute ago. All right, so now you've introduced the topic. You've asked how close it is to them. Do they know someone who's tried or died? Then you make it personal. And again, neutral language, closed-ended question. Have you ever thought of leaving that way? And then you just listen. The answer may be yes or no. Freud said that suicidal thoughts are normal. A lot of people don't believe that. It's very controversial when I say it. The reality is the answer could be yes or no. It doesn't matter. Having a suicidal thought does not necessarily mean you're at risk, especially if you're talking about it. You're mitigating the risk immediately so you can feel a huge sense of relief if they say yes. Here's the last question. This is an open-ended question, and we're good. this is where we flip people over on their heads. And if you like to flip people, this is fun. The, the sixth step is why stay? What are your reasons for staying? And when they tell you one reason for staying, you can ask, what else? Let's face it, Frank, life is pretty challenging. The fact that we stick around, we've got to have reasons for this. So getting them in touch with their reasons for staying, why stay? I came through this two different ways. This is the one I train advocates to. All of my advocates have 20 practice conversations while they're advocates in training. What does that mean? We have 20 people who are further away from the ledge for every student in the program. And the student themselves, every conversation backs them further away from the ledge because it gets them in touch with what their reasons are for staying just by having this conversation. So you don't have to be afraid of the conversation. I would be concerned if you're not willing to have the conversation. And so I have a gift for everybody who's listening, Frank. Mm -hmm. When people are really not willing to have this conversation, there's usually a trust factor. They don't trust themselves to be able to have the conversation without reacting. And it's uncomfortable. Trust me. This is a topic that I started my TEDx talk with. I don't want to talk about it. I get it, but let's talk about it in a way that's completely safe and honors everybody. So the gift, if someone's struggling with trusting themselves to be able to follow these six steps, the gift is the know, like, and trust factor assessment. And the website is my philosophy for everyone. You can't do it wrong. You can't do it wrong. We've got the full script of the conversation. You can't do it wrong, even if you just go, are you at risk of suicide? And if you even let the word come out of your mouth, you're opening the door. Don't worry, they won't walk through it if they're teens. If you launch it that way, that moment, but you might be able to get them to make an appointment to have the other conversation when you're calmer. See, the real step that everyone has to start with for that conversation is just to relax. When you stop being busy, give yourself permission to take a few deep, slow breaths. Give yourself permission to trust that it's going to be all right. And if you just calmly have the conversation, following those six steps of stop being busy, listen without judgment, introduce the topic of suicide in a way that's relevant, find out if it's close to them, do they have a friend, and then do they have their own story? And finally, what are their reasons for staying? And when they start sharing their reasons for staying, 
you can start celebrating their life with them. Because at that moment, when you ask, what are your reasons for staying? You're getting around the natural negative bias of the brain. And what are they actually telling you? They're telling you what's so good about their life. And there's nothing more preventative for suicide than joy and fun. So we say in my world, suicide is serious. And suicide prevention can be seriously fun. That's a great line. That's an absolutely great line. Now, Jackie, you, uh, in addition to your summits and your books and your website, you are now going to have a YouTube television channel. Talk a little bit about that in the few minutes we have left. It launched today. I'm super excited. You can find it on YouTube at The Suicide Prevention Movement. That's the name of the YouTube channel. And the first episode is up, and it is The Happiness Guy. So if you've never heard of Neil Gupta, um, he's amazing, and he's got a great story and great tips for parents, and this is useful for anyone. And it launched today. This morning, I just got the notice right before I came on the show with you, Frank. Thank you for letting me share that. That's exciting. And ladies and gentlemen, this, this is a conversation that you have to hear. And if you did not hear the whole thing, then make sure you hear it on demand. And make sure when we post man, that you share this. And you share it with everybody that you know. Because this, there is nothing more painful than to look at a parent who has lost a child and the, the heartbreak that they in, in their face and they think, I didn't know, if only I knew. Well, now you know. And there's, it's there. Jackie has it. Make sure you get a hold of her. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are just about out of time. This, this, this is just a tremendous show. Jackie, thank you so much for sharing this, this story and what you're doing on teen suicide prevention. Thank you, Frank, for having me on your show. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank my sponsors, the Tag Team, the collaboration between Jay Abraham and my company, Life Altering Events, to help the next generation of businesses thrive. If you'd like more information about Jackie or her website or in her now YouTube TV channel, contact me. I'll make sure you get it. As I said a moment ago, if you missed any of this show, it'll be available on demand about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock California time. I will post it on my Facebook, on my LinkedIn. Make sure you listen. Make sure you share. And you can hear it on any number of places, including iHeartRadio, Google, Alexa, and now my website, franksakari.com. Now, let me leave you with this, as I do every week. None of us are in this alone. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Jackie showed us where many of those rocks are. Join me next week as we have another life-altering event conversation. Thank you for tuning in to Life Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Cup.